Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are looking at a paper that is titled Significance of Group Composition for the Welfare of Pastures Horses. And this is by Hrefna Sigurjan's daughter and Hans Haraldson. This came from a request from Barb Campbell. So thank you very much, Barb, who was wanting to just know a little bit more information about um, grouping horses when you turn them out. So should we keep mares with mares and geldings with geldings? And should we separate stallions and so on? And it's a really interesting question because it does crop up in different yards and certainly in the racetrack too, which Nancy has quite a bit of experience in. But the premise of this paper was to look at um, groups of horses and to look at their bonds and to see what kind of social behavior happened, particularly aggression they were looking at. And then they were also looking at an appeasement behavior, which in this case is aloe grooming. So grooming each other within the herd. And because horses have that social nature, they want to interact with other horses. They want to establish bonds. And they also do naturally have a hierarchy and have a level of respect and learning that develops from their elders. So there was 426 horses and they were put into 20 groups. They were Icelandic horses and they were kept at pasture. And overall, it shows aggression was lowest if the group composition mimicked a natural system. So that's where there was a stallion present, there were mares, and there were young foals. In groups without a stallion, the presence of foals also associated low aggression. So if it was just mares and young foals. But um, overall, the stability of the group, um, the horses were less aggressive if they were in a more stable group. So even if there's a stallion, mares, and foals, if there's a lot of changing so if the mares are being changed over or new mares are added to the herd, this is going to increase aggression again. Interestingly, the highest aggression was found in groups of yearlings. So those younger groups that were put together, particularly unfamiliar ones. And they also found that the horses aloe groomed. So they did this appeasement behavior more in groups that had relatively young horses. So it suggests that they were trying to form bonds and one part of this paper I really like is that they refer to these bonds as friendships within horses, which is quite interesting how they kind of delve into that. But Nancy, you have experience particularly with um, those yearlings. Is it yearlings or is it are they older than that when they're out at track and they're put to pasture together? They're usually put together as weanlings and then they're kept as a yearling herd, unless they're sold. So um, they're first put in weanling groups. And then a lot of times, um, you know, especially if one farm is racing them, they'll go out 
is early yearling herds. And, you know, I get it that um, they tend to be more playful, more aggressive, more wanting to show off that they're maybe um, stronger than the next yearling. But um, I always think if they can't survive a weanling or yearling herd, they're sure as heck not going to survive a career on the racetrack. So I think the running, the playing, it helps to build strong bones and good musculature. And I think that's very important when you're raising them to be athletes. Yeah, I think it's interesting because there were a couple of points that stood out to me in the paper. And that one to me, I was thinking, well, obviously you're going to have higher levels of aggression because that peak of um, hormones in that age group, it's difficult. Like I, I have the greatest like um, respect in that terms for teenagers when we talk about humans, because my God, I think it's something like testosterone, like multiplies by 90% or something in such a short space of time. So there are going to be mood swings and there's going to be that kind of um, settling periods and trying to figure out, you know, hierarchies and there's going to be combativeness. And you see that, I think, across species. Peaks, peaks and troughs and hormones can play absolute havoc with um, behavior. So I think that makes sense. And also the aloe grooming being increased in younger horses, like they're trying to actually appease each other too. So it seems that they, while the behaviors might be increased, it seems like they have a nice balance where they are trying to create bonds. Yeah, and I thought it was neat that past research has um, revealed that aloe grooming lowers heart rate and blood pressure and reduces social stress. So it, it's really neat that even the older horses, they might not have as much aloe grooming going on, but they have certain individuals that they do groom. So instead of like having a, a herd that grooms everybody or one another, they usually have a specific friend as they get older. And I see that here. I've got three mares and two geldings. And the one gelding grooms, that's the probably the stallion gelding. He grooms the mare that's the queen of the herd. And then she's got a longtime friend. They've been friends for 20 years and she will groom that one as well. And then the pony hooks up with the second gelding. So they groom one another. So it's kind of neat that all five of mine have a grooming partner and the air picks up two. She takes the added one that she's been friends with 20 years. So you can really see the social connection and that's what this paper revealed and I think in a boarding situation like Barb was talking about she's in the problem is you can't dictate the stability of the herd because you've got horses leaving horses coming in and so once in a while you're going to have that introduction of a new individual and that creates all havoc 
And I think as well, it depends on how what the turnout conditions are. So are the horses stables and they're just turned out for a couple hours during the day or are they out of pasture the whole time? Because I've had my pony at um, like a rising school before, but they were kept turned out 24-7. None of them were stables. And I think that makes a massive difference because they have that opportunity to build those groups. Whereas if they're stables individually and they're only turned out for a couple hours, it does take more time. So where there is change, that change is going to take even longer to settle. And a part of this paper too mentions um, semi-feral or feral horses. And they said that in feral horses, there's really low levels of aggressive interactions. And the same is true if you group um, horses and get like a highly stable group and keep them under semi-natural conditions. So again, that's as natural as possible to the feral horses. So turned out is how I would interpret that. But other factors that are known to be influential are um, access to resources and density. They also mention stability and the presence of a stallion, but the access to resources and the density is really important because if you are keeping your horse at a riding school and they are turned out most of the time, what is the density in that field? Like how many horses per acre or what's the ratio? Because if there's too many horses in the field, then you're increasing how much interaction they have to have with each other, first of all, and you're increasing um, the fight for resources. So they found with these horses, um, typically they would be fed by a big bale of hay being dropped out, like the big round balers, not just some people might be imagining a single bale when I say that, but the big round balers that you would bring out with the tractor and the plastic is removed and they don't disturb it. They leave it like that. They let the horses pull the hay off of it. And the problem with leaving it like that is the horses have to pack closer together to access the hay. And that kicks that competition for resources into higher drive. Um, so one thing that can help with this, if you are experiencing aggression in groups, is feed them with plenty of space in between them. Try and put the hay in multiple points. And I think personally, it depends on the climate you live in. But if you can spread the hay out multiple points, you save your pasture too. Because where you drop that hay, it's just going to end up, especially in the winter, it's just going to be a mud bath. Because they're all going to continuously walk through that area. Because if you can move that around, you're rotating how much that part of the field is going to be pillaged, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Because what I do is take a small square bale and take it and just throw flakes around an area. And I always make sure I have one extra pile than I do horses. So there's always a pile for a horse to go to and there's one always open. So, and then the next day, if they haven't eaten everything and it looks to be like hay that is just going to get mixed in, I'll rate that. And then I'll move to another section of the field. It's quite a bit of work than just having one large round bale. But even the round bales, when they stick their nose in the middle of a round bale, they're getting so much mold and dust that it can create 
like asthma condition, like on that one episode we talked about. So I'm not a fan of big round bales, but it does uh, induce more competition and more fighting. Whereas if you can separate the horses to their own pile and always have that bonus pile, I call it, you'll have less um, competition there. And then also, um, you know, it's the density is so important. Some of these fields, the smallest field was 13 acres and the largest was 500 acres. And the they had it in hectares, is it, Kate? So yeah. the hectare was um, is about 2.5 acres. So that 500 acre pasture only had at the most 31 horses. That is like one horse for every 16 acres. That's a lot. At a zoo, we would call that a flight distance. There's yeah. space between animals where there will would be less fighting. You know, so I tend to have a 10 acre field. I'm full at five horses because I like two acres per horse as Mm -hmm. measuring. It's not so much work for me and we can maintain a nice grassy field. I have thoroughbreds and a Welsh pony. They're very light turn of foot all of them so you get very little pasture damage even in muddy conditions so um that's all you should always take that into consideration because turnout i think is one of the most important components of good horse management because horses need what do we always say friends and movement and then of course yep friends forage and freedom if you haven't listened to that episode, that is a really good one. That's right. That's it. What did I say? Um, friends. I think movements, I, I think. You yeah. were you were on the right track, though. Yeah, I like movement in horses because so much of the time, any lameness, uh, for the most part, just give them some movement, it, you know, and check with your vet, of course. But movement always keeps their metabolism healthy and it's at the core of horse management. Mm-hmm. Keep their minds healthy, like their mentality. They need turnout. They need access to as natural conditions as possible. And you know what I thought was interesting? Um, if this is open access, so we'll definitely put a link, but the graphics are so good in this. And did you see the um, box plots that were aggression was highest in the winter? And that was probably because of the hay. But then aggression was lowest in spring. And that really surprised me because I thought with hormones and the longer days, the aggression might be a little higher in spring, but it, it isn't. So it was that surprising. And I thought their use of box plots and graphs were pretty good. It was easy to see that where their data came from. I wonder if horses feel optimism the way we do in the springtime where like uh, the no. days are getting longer and they're happier. Well, maybe that's it. And the grass is greener, more tastier, though they're probably busier 
doing um, that, eating, than they are nitpicking on one another in the dullness of winter, you know? <laughs> yeah. But anyway. What, what I found interesting as well, one of the things that stood out to me was they talked about the frequencies of aggression um, in the very oldest horses. So the oldest horses in the herd showed elevated frequencies of aggression. And interestingly, also had elevated frequencies of submission. Um, and what they theorized is that it appears that while they strive to keep their status by elevating aggression, they run the higher risk of eliciting aggression from another high-ranking individual, causing them to submit. And that, I just thought that was so interesting because I never, my take on it is different coming from maybe a different background or um, a bias, I should say. I definitely have a bias towards, in my head, thinking old animals are potentially sore. Like I always keep that. And that's the veterinary nurse in me that's like, if you have an old animal, give them an extra bed. If an old dog or an old cat comes into practice, get them extra comfy, give them extra blankets. They're going to be stiff and sore. And I wondered if the aggression and submission are elevated in the oldest because, A, they are sore, so someone impinges on them and then they lash out or they initiate an aggression because they want their space. Um, and then if that aggression elevates with whichever horse they've done that with, they're going to submit because they're not they're not fit or they're not um, pain-free enough to actually follow through with a kick. Or we talked in previous episodes about um, the fact they can get arthritis in that uh, temporomandibular joint. Mm -hmm. And that's where the jaw joins up to the skull. So even biting action and chewing action can become sore if there's osteoarthritis there. And that was what triggered to me. I was like, well, if I have arthritis in my knees and I have arthritis in my jaw, I'm not going to want to kick or bite anyone. But if someone got too close to me, I'd definitely squeal at them to back off. Yeah. And you know, Kate, it's interesting because on that gra um, graph, it looks like the aggression is more pronounced in winter. And then the submission is also more pronounced. And aloe grooming is more so in summer and autumn. So uh, spring is low on all three behaviors. So that would make sense because if a horse has arthritis, it's going to be a little more uh, dicey in the winter months and the cold mm -hmm. damp. And so that would make sense. And then the submission would be higher too because they might not feel up to the fight. Yeah, that's what's kind of stood out to me. But that's why it's so interesting when you do read these papers, like the more you read them, because you end up building a knowledge, like from each episode, we build a little bit more background and we can then draw on these different episodes we've done and these different papers we've read and kind of bring all this information together and formulate new ideas or think, oh, this is interesting. Somebody can then, like anyone who's listening can do this, kind of pull these bits together. It's what a literature review is if you were to actually write it down. But you can then hypothesize why something might be a way it is. And then if you're research inclined, 
you could look into the research in that area. So it's just, I suppose, finding new answers, finding new problems first, and then finding new answers. Well, and this study is really cool because they were all the same breed. So you're not going to have the breed dispositions enter in. And then also it was over a 15-year period. So that's that's a pretty good sample size and a sam- the study length is also pretty good where any inconsistencies would show up over that time. So yeah, this is a good read. It's very easy to read, don't you think, Kate? Yeah, definitely. It's an accessible paper for anyone who's interested. And it was, I meant to say at the beginning, it was published in January 2019. So it's a relatively new study as well. And especially when you think it spans a 15-year period. So it's a huge amount of data, 426 sources. Like that's a big data set. So um, definitely worth having a read of it because the information that's in here has been carefully documented for years and using a large number of horses to be able to come up with um, these outcomes, which is so beneficial. So I mean, just the couple of practical tips that we mentioned is have um, at least two acres per horse in your field, spread out that feed and definitely mix um, genders where you can have your mares, your stallions. They don't mention geldings in this um, because it is a stallion mares and young um, foals. But from personal experience, I've always seen geldings mixed with mares and I've anecdotally I guess seen it seem to stabilize or balance out the herd that would be your experience as well Nancy wouldn't it yeah and um they did say in here um that such groups are groups where stallions are replaced by adult geldings Mm -hmm could easily be taken up as a management practice. So that was one of their conclusions that this study could apply to the geldings and geldings as males would probably be considered to be a little bit aggressive and roughhouse more. I know my geldings do and they play that darn halter tag and tear one another's (laughs) threads. But and and that's what what Barb was asking because she likes her gelding to go out with a few mares too, but in um, boarding situations sometimes she can't find that boarding barns uh, that she's looked into separate geldings from mares, and I think that's just a management choice each barn has to make, and then it's also. I think as an individual decision, because you do have some horses that are more aggressive than others, but according to this, a mixed group kind of offsets that the mares kind of temper the geldings and the um, geldings take their place in the alpha mares herd. So um, I think each boarding situation has to be analyzed and whoever manages that barn has to make that call I think that's well said yeah I don't think I'd I'd have anything to add to that I think yeah it's 
you, I think we've mentioned this before, you're more or less interviewing places you're leaving your horse as well. So be picky where you can. I know people don't always have the choice, um, but where possible, be picky where you can. And especially if you're paying money to leave your horse somewhere, these are questions that you definitely should ask. And I think newer horse owners would easily not think to ask this as well because you don't realize it's going to be a problem until there is fighting or potentially injuries even. Yeah, and that that's a tough thing to work through for an owner because it's so frustrating to visit your barn and there your gelding has another bite laceration or a kick and, and all that. But for the most part, Um, What I have found is any newcomers got to go through that initiation process and hopefully you have plenty of room, um, you know, plenty of flexibility to slowly introduce the horse to the herd one horse at a time. I, when I brought horses to the farm here, that worked out so well to put the alpha out and, you know, let her get used to the new horse or you can do the other way around and put your less dominant horse out with the new horse and let them have a few minutes together and then uh, bring that horse and isolate it because you just kind of have a process to slowly integrate into that herd and um, it seems like whatever you do there's going to be things happen They're going to run one, that little pony. I don't think I had a weight problem on her the first year because those thoroughbreds ran her and she could get out of the way pretty quick. So an age matters too. If she had been older and elderly, I wouldn't have put her through that, but she was five years of age and full of herself. And she even skipped the lower quadrant of the social hierarchy and she went straight for the top and she's still and that alpha mare of mine she's 25 but she's not letting that pony to pass her up you know so but I love that pony mentality (laughs) straight for the top she went straight for the lead and thank god that redheaded mare of mine put her in her place you know (laughs) it's that terrier syndrome they just they they don't see the size of the thoroughbred i know it's crazy but anyway i think that's about all i had kate yeah that's all i had for this paper so um as nancy said it's open access if you would like to read it And other than that, um, thank you again to those couple of people that have done the quiz since, or not the quiz, oh, just lowered the level, (laughs) done the survey, the research survey since last week. It's definitely a bit more than a quiz. Um, Are you, Kate, are you grading those surveys? (laughs) Listen, I'm actually in the middle of grading at the moment, and I think my brain is switched off. (laughs) lots of um lots of essays and exams coming in but it's one of my favorite times of year so I can't complain um but yes thank you to those who have done the survey so far and um we've a couple more respondents needed until we hit our initial target so if you haven't had a chance please do jump on you'll find the link on our social media and on the anchor homepage. sounds great and uh thank you 
Kate, for joining in. I know it's a busy time of the year for you. And uh, we'll see everybody next week with a new episode. Lovely. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.